everybody. Welcome to the H Word. Dan, you had a new intro, hey? No, I, it was just like a morning radio thing I was going to do. I'm like, what's up, H Wordians? I think it's great. I think we okay, should do that every great. time. Thank well, you. Well, it's done. Thank you. Um, welcome. Here we are. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest with us. Are we supposed to introduce ourselves? I'm Becky still. I'm Dan still. Yeah. And we have a friend here who's <laughs> fiddling <laughs> with his microphone after I told him to get comfortable. not to. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, Connor Haller is here. Hi. Hi. Thanks Hi. for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so we, the first thing we usually ask our guests is, um, how would you define yourself? Which wow. is sort of like saying, what do you do for a living or... Okay. Who are you? How would you like to introduce yourself? That is, that's a great question. Put that big, microphone big closer question. to your yeah, face. Okay, there we go. Thank you. How would I define myself? I guess right now, um, I would, as far as a job goes, I'm a management consultant, and mm. I specialize in digital transformation and innovation. So a lot of buzzwords there. Digital transformation essentially is like helping companies that did things primarily by paper, so collecting paper applications. And then they just go sit in a file folder somewhere and they don't know anything about you and they can't use any of that information to like right. make things more personal for you, for example. So I help them take all of those processes, digitize a lot of that content and, and the experience that they're having with their customers, and then like create products, essentially. So chatbots or mobile apps. You make chatbots? We design the concept and the kind of business value of like what they do. So like... Let's see, how, how, what would this look like? Um, a lot of times what we'll do is like, we'll come in, we'll work with a company to be like, well, who are the customers that you wanna interact with? Like what types of people are they? Um, and then we'll make these profiles of those people to be like, well, um, let's say you're a retailer and there's gonna be certain behavioral characteristics of millennials that you're gonna wanna design how you, you know, interact with you know, around those considerations. Are you influencing elections? Um, no, I don't. Th I mean, it is funny, though, like there are some people that we work with that specialize in this field called behavioral economics um, that have been uh, implicated in influencing elections, because right. essentially it's like, well, if you're a millennial and you have these kind of behavioral characteristics, what are the ways that we can kind of nudge you to do things that are either going to help you solve a problem or help us sell something to you? I had no idea that your uh, line of work was so evil. It, well, it can be used for good. It can be used for evil yeah. too, right? Because you can think of behavioral economics as like either helping sell more insurance products um, to people who are genuinely looking for insurance. So, I love insurance products. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you're the perfect. I'm, I love you're insurance the perfect and insurance products. Yeah. I feel actually underinsured. Really? Yeah. Are you selling? Do you sell <laughs> I can't. Really? Yeah, no, I know some people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just saw your eyes light up. <laughs> really? I only insure the things that are legally required for me to insure, and that's not smart. I started insuring things recently. Like I got, I got a car in the last well, couple of years. So you have yeah. to insure that. Yeah. Um, but I also have like house insurance. <laughs> this is a great yeah. conversation. Um, and, but this is who you are. <laughs> <laughs> this is you. This is defining you. Thank you for recentering on that because I am trying to transition into insurance. Um, great. Um, do you engage in human captology? I don't, I mean. What? I would love to know more. It's possible. What what does human captology mean? It was a it was a buzzword I heard um, recently, which was it's the uh, the study of getting people to stay somewhere. Hmm. Uh, like in, so captology is short as for captive capture. Yeah, captive. Like uh, about like it's it's this thing. It's a it's um 
it's a thing that's used on apps like Twitter. It's why some people theorize, uh, you know, these kinds of social medias have this sort of rotten core because they start as this uh, liberating tool, and then they engage in captology, which is a sort of game. Is it sticky- stickiness? Yeah, which yeah. keeps you there. It's like, well, now we have we went public, so we owe stockholders money. Yes. So therefore, we need people to keep using the app at whatever cost. And so now we're engaging in captology, which is just keeping you there, and it like sort of. It's also because uh, their business model is all ad driven, right? So right. it's like so the more more time you spend on that site, the more money they're going to make, which is going to make the investors pleased. Right? Yeah, and and that, yeah, there was the 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 talk was saying something about um, you know, making a making a quarter billion dollars was still a failure of a business because of how much debt was owed to the stockholders. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think we can agree that capitalism is cancer. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, but you have to grow constantly, right? Yes, that's and right. if everything Absolutely. is trying to grow constantly, you there isn't enough space. And I think I mean I and I don't know much about this space, but I did hear something interesting the other day, which is like, are, are we now at the limits of growth? Yeah. Because for a long time, a lot of that growth was connected to resources or like tangible value. Mm-hmm. When you think about some of the things that happened in like the financial crisis, where you, where you have like. Uh, essentially bets upon bets upon bets it's almost like fake money it's so disconnected and so abstracted from real value and we keep essentially making these bets that are kind of not connected to anything real is that what bitcoin is actually i don't want to talk about bitcoin i've read so much about it and i'm just going to be not a bitcoin millionaire (laughs) oh you yeah you read about it and now decided i can't do that oh no 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 i've read about it and gone what and then then close my laptop and gone outside in some ways i think it's kind of interesting though it is cool does represent an interesting concept oh you're one of those guys okay (laughs) not that i'm into bitcoin and again it's not not an area that i know a lot about but i think the concept of blockchain is is interesting and blockchain is what underpins i mean i would if i understood what it was after having read about it over and over again and not getting it so i'll give you a a one second elevator pitch (laughs) and again i don't i don't know enough about this so this could go way off the rails but I, to me, it's it's essentially like a decentralized way of governing transactions. Yeah, so it'd I'm be too, like I'm too stupid to understand. Yeah, so that. me too. That's about as far as my explanation goes. <laughs> it's intangible, though. I feel correct? like if somebody like just a little bit smarter than us was explaining, it'd be a lot of head nodding and be yeah. like, "Yeah, totally." I could throw in on that, but I can't be the anchor of but the I think conversation. It still takes twenty minutes, regardless. My friend and ours, David Deneen Porter, tried to explain this to me. He's very smart, very good at explaining things, and I still couldn't understand. And I gave up. And I think he has made a bunch of money in Bitcoin. So good for really? you, David. He seems like the kind of guy that would make a bunch, like get yeah. in early on some something like that. Yeah. He's smart. Okay, um, uh, so this podcast is ostensibly about hope, okay. or and and as we've been discussing on this, hope has a lot to do with looking forward. It's they're married; they have to be together. Um, and I know because I've worked. That's with, what married people do; they have to be together. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> going into the future. Yeah. Yes. If you separate from your married person, then you're not married. No one will like you anymore. <laughs> you're a failure. Yeah. Right. I'm married. That's how I approach it. Yeah. Um, it's it's staying, about looking forward. Staying with a husband is fear of failure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but hope is looking forward. And I know from working with you, Connor, um, I was involved in your PhD thesis. No, not PhD, no, but uh, I thought you were master's PhD. thesis. Yeah. I thought you were a doctor. No. Get lost. Maybe one day. Really? Yeah, I hope so. Um, but ma- master's thesis in future studies. Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. I mean, I guess the... The long and the short of it is um, there's this discipline 
in innovation, which is, um, okay, so one thing we were talking about earlier, which is about the study of human behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect. What do people need to do? And how can we create this product or service to address those needs? That's very good at short-term considerations. But what it lacks is kind of a long-term view. Like, so how could we do things totally differently 20, 30 years down the line when technology is different and people have different behaviors and all these trends have like changed the world that we live in, mm -hmm. right? So I always think about a quote there, which is, um, it's attributed to Henry Ford, which is, if oh, I ask great. my customers um, you what- mean famous anti-Semite, Henry <laughs> Ford? Yeah, go on. <laughs> Yeah, no, I want to. Thank you. I, I want to know. I didn't realize that, so my my apologies on it's that. It's okay. Anti Semites can still be smart. <laughs> and now here comes the quote. Yeah, no, just maybe we just cut cut the quote out altogether. No, I want to hear it. So the quote is: Everyone I mean, was anti-Semitic then. It does. Well, it <laughs> sure took the, maybe I'll never say this quote again. Okay, so this is the last time. I, I do apologize because you no, are no. my guest here, and I'm not no, treating no. you like a guest. I, I, absolutely, I think that's fair, and I'm glad that you told me because now I will genuinely never say the quote again. Um, <laughs> but it does say something. I, it does help illustrate this like concept of future studies, right? Which is, if I ask my customers what they want, they'd have told me faster horses, right? Which is because everybody's mm. used to taking a horse to the market. And people are, if you go, hey, what, do you, what would be more helpful for you to move your stuff to market? They'd be like, oh, faster horses, like better legs, better wagon wheels. They're unlikely to say, well, there's some, you know, uh, trends percolating up in terms of how you make an engine. And, you know, there's this other, whoever invented like cars, you know, like they couldn't have seen that future because they don't have all those facts. They're just, they're just reacting based on the way things are done today. So when you think about the future, this, you know, it's the, the, the thrust behind the thesis that I was working on, essentially what you're doing is you're looking at all of these different trends across different disciplines, like social, um, technological, environmental, economic, politicals, and values. You're saying like, what's percolating up and what's relevant to the particular area or field that I'm studying? And then based on that, you make some projections, some different projections about how things may kind of look in the future. How do you feel about the future? Pretty um, pessimistic. Okay, so this area of study didn't make you more into the future. Hmm. I th absolutely it did. I mean, like, I, I, think it's a, I think it's an important thing to study. And there, are, you know, I mentioned you, you kind of cast these different lenses, like look at different ways these trends play out. Mm -hmm. There's always an optimistic scenario, which is like, hey, this is the best that we can hope for. This is what we want. But then you kind of off, so you balance that out by saying, well, here's a negative way that it could play out. All these should be plausible, right? The idea is we're very bad at like looking 15, 20 years into the future and saying, this is going to be the way it is. So let's only prepare for this one future. There's all kinds of examples of where those models completely blow up, like Brexit or Donald Trump getting into office, right? Like who could have expected that? And then they're ruining kind of everybody's planning, these exactly. major events. Okay. Yeah, so, they, so the concept here is, well, like look, let's look at what's possible, create an op maybe an optimistic version, a, a pessimistic version, a, a transformational version, and then maybe kind of an, an outlier or just kind of a, a bit of a wild card scenario. The idea being all these are possible things that could happen, and then prepare for um, different aspects of those futures based on where you see the world going. So what's making you feel pessimistic right now? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I've, even if I think of just this most recent week, right, there's the Australian wildfires yes. are like, to me, I just see that as, as the beginning of the end. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. well, this is clearly what the world is going to look like for the next 
for our life, yeah. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. more fires, wait till it comes back to BC, the fire season, even last year or a couple of years ago here in Ontario, there's fires happening all in the North. Um, there's, and then there's, there's really the scary, like salmon collapses out West too. Totally. And these are right now happening in pockets, right? So then you, I think about the concept of like a tipping point, which is like, at what point does all of these fire create some, you know, problem with the weather, the weather, which, you know, exacerbates, you know, melting of the glaciers. And then it's just like all of these massive, um, ecosystems just collapse because one of them, um, went past the point of no return. Right. So that's one. And then the other thing that happened this week is the um, bombing of of um, the Iranian general. Yes. So it's like there's, you know, so there's some shit that, that makes me feel pessimistic. So that, I think there's all that's always coloring my view. But then I think, you know, in the spirit of this podcast, there's also <laughs> things that we should be hopeful for. And we can't just resign ourselves to like accepting these negative futures. We still have to find ways to be happy. Yes. And be hopeful despite what's happening all around us yeah and and still everything sort of feels fine right here right now right here right now things feel fine yeah so how do we deal with that oh yes of course yeah um yeah exactly because we, we started this we started this whole uh event today by being by talking about our holidays and how they were pretty chill and quiet yeah yeah um and it's very hard to uh um uh, hold those two realities in your mind. Yeah, at the to same reconcile. Time. I think that's yeah. fair. I mean, like, because is is it even possible? I mean, that's certainly not been my experience too. And maybe it's just because they're not yet so close to home. You know, it's kind of like you spend a moment. Not that I want to go down the kind of depression, no, we can pessimistic start there. kind of view, but you look at like those things that's happening in Australia, and it's so tragic. And then it, like, I can only afford so much emotional investment in those things before it just like ruins my existence, which who knows? I don't know if that's the wrong way or the right way to go about it. But like, I'll see it on Instagram and be like, oh my God, this is tragic. <sighs> Put down Instagram and then be like, okay, take my dog for a walk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Share some happiness with my wife, eat some good food. Compartmentalizing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I feel like right now, one of the things that's that's been a general challenge, I think, for humanity in general forever is being honest with ourselves. And I think being honest with ourselves about how we're reacting and sort of addressing that uh, is part of what's going to keep us going. So we do need to admit these sort of darker senses and, th and ways that we're behaving. And of then course. come up with ways yeah. to overcome them, right? I think that's where the hope comes into it. It's like, this is a reality. So let's not bury our heads in the ground and try to ignore it for as long as possible. Let's accept it and come up with a way to solve for it. After this, my answer for what made me hopeful this week is going to feel really silly. <laughs> um, I saw a Kickstarter online for $24 million for the Australian wildfires. And it was just totally unsighted, like mm -hmm. unsourced. Just like $24 million is going somewhere to right. someone. Hmm. Okay. Did you donate? <laughs> no. How, where'd you see it? How'd you see it? Uh, an Australian friend shared it online. Oh, it's legit. <laughs> yeah. Or it's well, one of Connor's bots. You expect them. Yeah, you. <laughs> I just. Money, money, money. I've never yeah. completely understood what you do. Yeah, no, I give a terrible description. No, I don't. Still warming up. I don't get it ever. I'm a little dense. Like there I are got certain. It. I think I got yeah, it. I know. I could see the you understanding, and that makes oh. me understand how dense I am in certain ways. I have some skills. Others I don't. But 
Um, I like that I've brought you on the show and just said that you create bots. <laughs> sure, I, well, that's a reality. Yeah, we really reduced it. I think there because we, we early on in your work, you were, um, for instance, creating it was an app for diabetics, right? Yeah, that's right. So I mean, like my, I guess the connective thread. So I've had kind of three chapters of of my career. I guess one is like a comedian, and then the other is creating interactive entertainment uh, of which comedy like wove its way through multiple projects that I worked in there. Um, and then finally into more like bot creation, <laughs> bot, <laughs> bot creation and yeah, digital, my final digital form. strategy. Oh, can we talk about your diabetes? Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, I guess just to, just to close the loop on that, the connective yeah. thread is like all of that has been about um, using technology to create compelling experiences so even when i was a comedian on stage it was all, we were always using um technology to create these magic moments um you know to create something that is totally scripted is totally narrative but you know th through trick of the camera we were still creating things that that were kind of weird and different and then in the media world again it was always about how to use technology in novel ways so, you know, we created uh, virtual reality applications or augmented reality applications or mobile games that, you know, reward you based on where you are in a city. So, again, these are, it's fun. It's about fun and play, but using technology to create these new things. And now this is just more on the kind of business side of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, they've, I mean, the, the truth of it is like there's, I think you have more opportunity to create bigger impact as you go into those spaces and partner with like bigger organizations. Because even in that middle span where I was creating those media products or creating like those apps for diabetes, they're great. But there's only so much money that s someone at my level can pull together to create them. What was the diabetes app? I really want to talk about diabetes. So this is a con and this will be again back to our my comment about behavioral economics this is very much in that space. So what are the kinds of uh, mental processes that we can take advantage of, like incentivization or gamification, that will create behaviors that are positive for you, the diabetic. So, and this is going back a couple of years, but and I'm sure there's other companies that have done this by this point. Um, but you have to, as a diabetic, you have to measure your blood sugar um, on a regular basis, and it's kind of like, well, I have all of these other things I need to take care of on a you know day to day. Do I really want to go and test my blood sugar and then log it and do all this stuff? Not really. So the result is um, like lower uh, testing frequency as well as like poor logging behaviors. And oftentimes there'll be heaps of data stuck in these little blood glucose machines that, you know, because the experience is so bad around syncing it up to your computer and getting it into the cloud, you can't actually, you as a user can't take advantage of that data. And, you know, medical, um, like research teams also can't take advantage of that data. So this concept was, well, what if you could reward people with points for A, taking their blood sugar, B, um, maintaining blood sugar within a certain range. Um, and then you can use those points just like a visa rewards program, right? So you could like earn essentially a currency to like get things that you would genuinely be interested in so the concept is and then in, if i take better care of myself then i'll be rewarded for and it in exchange time. researchers are having access to this as well and that's where the economics i think that's the bad well the, i think there's two i mean again this is going back a couple of years but the concept was you can pay for this as a user because hey um it's keeping me better you know it's keeping me better health and you know it's it's archiving all of my information and you know i'm getting some reward for I mean, taking better care of my condition. 
And then on the back end, you have all that data, so you could commercialize that. And again, I didn't get too far into that, mm -hmm. but I'm sure pharmaceutical companies would be interested in that. Insurance companies would be interested in that, with a major caveat that you know it can't be used for evil. Essentially, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always just trying to get data yeah. and money back to my people <laughs> on the insurance side. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also wanted to know where you were at with your project, uh, your insulin project. My insulin project. Oh, I love it. This is so I haven't done that. Like this has this is still forthcoming, right? But it and it's all connected to and I mean it's connected to the, my pessimistic view of the future. Yes. <laughs> and it's also anchored to I believe it's 2021 or 2022. I have to double check. But it was the year that um, Banting and Best discovered insulin. So we're coming up on the centennial anniversary. Um, in Toronto, which is kind of known right now as like a bit of an innovation hub. And of course, Banting and Best are like two of Toronto's like most famous innovators. So I feel like there's going to be some attention or Becky, some momentum. you know how they felt about the, the, Jews? Chos the chosen people? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't. But you know, let me just apologize for that a little bit because if we think that we're not standing on the shoulders of horrible, evil, racist people in every sort of yeah. realm, we're, we're out of our minds. But I we learned a lot from the Nazis. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> well, they did some bad experiments that Oof. explained hypothermia. So let's, if you can survive hypothermia, How do you then feel thank about you, Nazis. That? That's so hard to, well, that's to reconcile. But that's everybody. We, the further we get away from these horrors, we think we, we forget about them. But, but I, how do you feel? But not, not, feel not, as not you as a Jew. I think, I mean, that's, that's one, you know, huge, I'm sure there's tons to unpack there. But just generally, of like, People that you disagree with their values and what they've done, their con their positive contributions. So you can say the same thing about Michael Jackson or or other people. Is like as they're, they're evil people, but they've also created positive aspects. So how do you reconcile those two well, pieces? Well, see, my know. view is that people are basically evil. Yeah. Most people are evil. We have to fight against so many things that are that are in us to survive. And if you find good people, you're lucky. So it doesn't at all surprise me that so much of what we have is because of evil. You, we, we want to go kill other people and take care of ourselves and our friends, right? It's part of human nature. And you can never see what's in someone else's head. So I don't know if the people that I know are evil or not. Interesting. And I th also think acknowledging, like I was saying before, that acknowledging our inner evils is extremely important in getting through what we're about to come up with or come up against. That's my personal view. So like none of that really bothers me. I don't, I think, I think disliking and hating people who are other than you is again ingrained in us and something we have to fight against. So I don't know. Like we do. Yeah. We you do. love listening to Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's all I do. Yeah. I'm not stopping. <laughs> yeah. I am not stopping. You're a big fan of Michael Vick. <laughs> What's, oh, the dog fighting man? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't Disgraced know what he does. NFL player, yeah. Michael Vick. Yeah, I yeah. watch his blooper reels. What do you do with NFL players? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You just like them, I think. You just have their posters up? When they're retired, you just, yeah, you just sit there liking them. Yeah. I have been noticing that R. Kelly has like dropped off playlists of like clear channel, whatever, radio oh, finally, everywhere. It took so long. But Michael Jackson is still real. Yeah. He's instantiated. And why? Yeah. And who's making those calls? It's just kind of thumb in the air. Like culturally, have the you know, like they've both done terrible things. Yes, but someone is saying this Michael one's stays. not terrible enough. Yeah, I mean, well, there's like, something so. What about what about classical music? What were those guys into? Exactly, I have no clue. They were probably all horrible. They were rich white dudes. They were 
I mean, do you think they were nice? I don't no, know. I'm sure there's Beethoven Nazis could have been there. a fucking asshole. I don't well, know. Well, a lot of them are kind of like child stars, right? Aren't they? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because they're like like, so they're ba- like Bach, sure. I think for sure, because he was like, uh, um, no Mozart, Mozart, because he was like someone who was a um, phenom from the start, and they were like, give this kid money and time and space and food and shelter, oh, so he, he could have been nice, write musical. Yeah, he exactly. Was a bad brat. It's one of these pampered things. Yeah, no, yeah. no way. So I don't know. So that's how I feel. I don't think that. I think that looking back on human history as some sort of like we were all wonderful and golden notion is is ludicrous. Yeah. What about Ludacris? He seems okay. Yeah, he seems okay. <laughs> He's managed yeah. to weather the storm. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking Sorry, I about distracted about the insulin project. Insulin project. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> A very professional throat clear, I gotta say. Just to clarify. Oh, very good. Just to clarify um, our perspectives, I'm Jewish. Okay. Connor's a diabetic. Yes. Dan is... Irish. <laughs> Great. Let's keep going. Um... Diabetic project. Oh yeah. Okay. So this is um. So banting and best. So coming up on the banting and best centennial. Probably. Oh yeah, banting and best. Well, let's fact check that. (laughs) That could actually prevent me from doing the project. (laughs) Let's not fact check it because you'll stop if you look into people too much. You'll stop everything. Yeah. Nevertheless, the inspiration is banting and best discovery of insulin in Toronto a hundred years ago. So for the centennial, and because so much of the zeitgeist. or at least my um, perception of it right now is about this like do- in- impending doomsday mm-hmm. and like, look, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, there's this sense of like almost survivalism. So I've like a couple of, pe- a couple of times over the last like 10 years, I've gone through these periods where I'm like, I gotta like pack a bag, like, <laughs> like a go bag in my house. A bug which, out bag. A bug out bag, exactly. Which is like, you know, three days to a week's worth of food just to like, you know, ride through the just storm. to like ease you into a death <laughs> yeah exactly one or, week of life until you die and yeah. to be i mean if like there's kind of a uh a joking side of this which is like i like the idea of uh kind of ironically being a or pseudo ironically being a, a survivalist but the other side is i genuinely believe that we will have to weather three day to one week storms like a hurricane katrina type of thing in our lifetime so is the whole system going to break down probably not but, you know, it's a pretty fragile, I think it's 10 days of food is available in Toronto at any given time. If the supply chains get cut, we have 10 days worth of food. Did you grow up with um, survival kits? Because we're both from the West Coast. I yeah. grew up with them. Earthquake. I yeah. mean, it was the whole thing there was about earthquakes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just some some color on on why I'm, I guess, conscious of, of surviving these, uh, you know, so Doomsday we, events. Yeah, we have 10 days worth of food in the supply chain and you want to have... 10 yourself personally exactly or yeah. just be prepared again it's there's an optimistic scenario which is this you know where everything's fine but there's a pessimistic scenario so why not prepare for the pessimistic and then hope for the optimistic and in keeping in that i have a complication because i can't just have the food That's right. and then uh you know coast on that i need to think about um insulin and insulin has a shelf life of i think it's six months uh, if it's refrigerated or um, one month if it's unrefrigerated. So that's kind of the, the window before I start to need to like find some, some available insulin, which is like then, then you know, if, if everything has broken down, do you like break into shoppers drug marts and are you living that reality? Like, or is it like a FEMA camp and people give you insulin? Um, or can you scrounge through trash and like discarded chemicals? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And create with that 
a way to produce your own insulin. So I've found um, Banting and Best's original formula for, for synthesizing insulin. Um, and this project is about working with a biochemist to create those chemicals using uh, widely available household chemicals and then <laughs> wow. take pig pancreas, which is how it was done in the turn of the century using Banting and Best's formula, um, synthesize insulin, and then give myself the dose. So that in doing that, it'll be a kind of a nice nod to Banting and Best's discovery of insulin with kind of a modern twist. And B, if the apocalypse actually does occur, I will have gone through the prototyping phase to actually figure out how to give myself and make insulin. Now, wow. I like that in your pessimistic view of this apocalypse, pig pancreas is something readily available. Yeah, and also say, be done that's... with dogs, dog, oh. dog pancreas. Nice. <laughs> oh, and we immediately have no concern that there will be a million dogs everywhere. There's going to be a lot of dog available options. Available pancreases. <laughs> well, and again, I don't know. I, I haven't got to the point where I'm actually synthesizing, and I'm sure that the numbers, and I don't know. And, but and presumably you could use human pancreas. If it came to that. <laughs> it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Yeah. Or it's a me-eat-dog world. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You eat pig. Yeah. Pig-eat-dog. So, so we'll see. I'll, I'll, like, I'd like to do it. I think more of just, you know, kind of a funny, weird way to honor Banting and Best, provided they deserve it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the concept alone, though, it speaks. Uh, the reason I wanted you to tell that is because it speaks a lot to your relationship with the future. I think. Do you need a <laughs> break? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, should we talk about our weeks? We've. Wait. No. Did you want to elaborate on that? Because it speaks. Oh, that's it. It's like it, it's pessimistic, pessimistic yet planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's about taking the future into your own hands. You know, and I mean. And that's on a personal level. But one thing I also think a lot about is how taking the future into your own hands is not something that will help us, you know, succeed in the future. I think now it's, and so you can expand that to not just be, you know, like a, the individual in this kind of global scale would be like the individual nations and their interests versus coming together globally to tackle some of these global problems like poverty and climate change, right? So how, how, how can we come up with a way to, you know, govern ourselves or to collaborate together and, you know, shared interests um, so that we can tackle some of these? Because I think the way we've done it so far is like, well, we're only going to do it if China does it or we're out for Canadian interests first or we're not going to sacrifice the economy for the, you know, you know when no one else is going to sacrifice for the economy. And that kind of gets us to the place where we are now, which is like, well, we're on the speeding train and nobody really wants to be the first one to get off. So how are we going to overcome that? I think we need to find a way to come together and solve some of the problems. Yeah, we're on a speeding train and we're like, I saw speed. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not yeah. what we're talking it about. It ends here. well. No. no, yeah, exactly. They smooch. For one guy. Do they smooch? They must smooch at the end, right? <laughs> I think guys. they do smooch. Yeah, they it, do smooch, Not the two yeah. guys, the, the Keanu and... Never the two guys. Not in, not in, that, not in that period no, in history. unfortunately. Yeah, um... Bullock and Reeves. Yeah. Smooch. Bullock. Oh, those are the last names of the actors. And I just, That's I, right. I thought it was like a. And Hopper was in the mix. Oh, yeah, but Hopper doesn't make it. Hopper does not make no. it. Spoiler. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> Spoiler alert from Speed. Yeah. 30 years ago. Probably. 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Really? No. 95 is my guess. Okay. Yeah. Someone made some like math tweet. They were like, 
2050 and 1990 are the same distance apart. I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yes. I heard a math. <laughs> True. I, I did hear a math, a math, um, a math, well, tw- tweet <laughs> um, recently that I was like along those same lines that I was like, well, okay, that made me think a little bit, which is from when that 70s show came out was the same distance from the 70s as uh, that 90s show would be if it came out today. Was there that 90s show? Mm. No, but it's the right. same period has yes. kind of passed. But that right? doesn't seem surprising. That does, that does make me think a little bit, though. Oh, yeah? It makes me think about, um, yeah, it makes me think about uh, taste in music. Like, when I was, like, 13, I was like, Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. is oh, the yeah. greatest. And uh, because it had this, like, um, cool for my parents when my parents were at an age that I wished I were. Huh. You know? Um, and so that's an interesting aspect of what we of what of the things that we like like i think the fact that i like loud guitars is because it was cool for my dad when he was in his 20s mm-hmm. oh and you're trying to be your dad We're all well i was trying to be yeah. my dad and now i'm stuck <laughs> <laughs> and such is human evolution you're yeah. locked in yeah so i mean i guess that makes me think well what is that today you know, like if, yeah. if that if it was Led Zeppelin for you. Well, because yeah, a lot of people my age have. Uh, I mean, do you have children? No, no. Um, but a lot of people my age do, and they would maybe be around the time when they'd be thinking about that. So, yeah. again, they would be in a feedback loop because I like loud guitars too. Mm-hmm. Or I did. It was cool when I was twenty, I guess. So you think they're stuck in the seventies because you're just playing Led Zeppelin around? <laughs> Wait, do you think the seventies are the only era and we're stuck liking it forever? <laughs> I feel okay. like that's what he's implying. It, it do, yes. Marriage Story does make me think that. I have not seen it yet. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I okay. I'm going to go to my thing that made me hopeful this week, please, because it relates to what we're talking about. Um, so this this podcast is coming out late, so all this news is a little dated. But this, I'm also even behind the times on. I just watched. Eddie Murphy hosting Saturday Night Live. The new one. You yes. watched the whole episode? Yeah. I watched it. I won't tell you how. That's fine. We're <laughs> Canadian. It's really easy to watch it in the States. <laughs> oh, yeah. I Well, then I just won't tell you because uh-huh. I don't want to. Yeah. Um, but I watched the whole thing, Eddie Murphy and Lizzo, and it was fascinating. I don't watch, uh, I don't watch Saturday Night Live very much at all um, since I was a teenager. And... Um, it, I brought Lizzo up before as something that makes me hopeful. Um, she's younger and just sort of displays um, this. Well, she's moving forward as an artist <laughs> in a time that feels scary. Mm. Um, I will tell you, my I had one tweet ever go viral, which was this. How far into the apocalypse do we keep doing improv? Interesting. So no That one went had, viral. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It was the, the only per- one. But it's the perfect encapsulation of your whole life uh, ethos yes yeah and also people love to make fun of improv so that helps yes um did you get responses uh yeah they're all like yes and and stuff like that. <laughs> 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 yeah there's some good jokes um what do you think well this is the truth i'm still doing it yeah and and it, i mean i think about art in general i've thought about art uh and and entertainment whatever you want to call it as like not important enough and yet what i've chosen to do with my life 
That's mm-hmm. me. And so trying to figure out how to make it useful or important, or is it important? Watching, re- weirdly, watching Eddie Murphy and Lizzo, I was like, this feels important. Yeah. This feels like it buoys us. It's really stupid. Also, watching Eddie Murphy play like buckwheat and Gumby. <laughs> yeah. Um, things that are not quite how we approach comedy now, but are great. And watching these mm. two sort of generations together reconcile with each other um, was amazing. Hmm. Yeah, and, I like that. Yeah, and, and I... The, the question of how far into the apocalypse do we keep doing improv um, is... What would it be better to not be happy while we're dying? <laughs> I I think it's all the way to the end. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, and unlike you, this is the other thing about like the with the insulin and like the sort of desire to survive. I think I'm just okay to die. I am too. Yeah, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I um, think about it a lot. But you, but but when you're alive, don't you have to be okay to die? Because we're going to. And when we did that show together, that that thing for your master's thesis, um, we did a show where it it was using improv to act out these different possible future scenarios. And there was one where you had a genetic... Synthetic biologist. Synthetic biologist. So so it it was people in different disciplines would talk about their discipline. And it was talking about sort of extending lives and fixing genes and all these things. So we did all these different scenes uh, around the themes of what she had spoken about. But one was about suicide. Because... Uh, no one dies in the in these futures. And this was the thing that she said that was the most interesting. She's like, in our field, we never actually talk about death because we're trying to prevent it. Hmm. But then what would happen if we all knew that we weren't going to die? We don't know. It's so built into who we are. It's very, mm-hmm. very scary. But... Big ethical question. Would it there. be cool to think about living forever too? I also think anyway. that just the impact that that would have on the... Envi- like, to me, that's the root cause of all of our problems. Is like there's no way to live a sustainable life with eight plus billion people on the planet. There's just too many people. Yeah. So if you were to knock that down, and if we're then if we're not going to die and people aren't going to get sick, what does that mean? And then we have very closely monitored, controlled kind of population growth. You know, like and who manages? So that's the big ethical question. Because there's no way. There's a kind of economic evolution of like rich people living longer than poor people. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, that's the idea. When I can't understand why all these people up in the oil sands want to keep going, I'm like, don't they have kids? It's like, no, no, no. They'll buy an island somewhere. They, they Wait, what people in the oil sands? Oh, rich oil barons. Like, the, the lobbies in Alberta to keep our level of oil production Oil production in Canada. So oh, don't high. they have kids? So they don't they think about their kids? Don't they Therefore, think about the generalized future? And don't mm-hmm. they see the news? But it's there's like an exemption. But they think they can get it. They think they can escape it. Yeah, yeah. They can fix it with money. Anyway, Lizzo and Eddie Murphy were my thing from this week, even though it's late. But I was like, it. It was watching it and going like, art is still useful. Let's Rome is falling. Let's party. I love that. There's also <laughs> a great. I read a. I can't. I won't. I can't remember the name of the uh, author. But the book is called Station Eleven. Oh, this has been recommended to me like a hundred yeah. times now. It's about the I apocalypse, it. and it's about this like um, nomadic troupe of Shakespearean actors, <laughs> kind of moving through these like. But it's very good. It's very, and it's a Toronto author actually, so it's, I, I really enjoyed it. It's been recommended to me so many times. And if your ethos been? is improv apocalypse, <laughs> this is very much in that wheelhouse. Why did I choose improv? <laughs> I chose me. <laughs> um dan did you have a thing um 
It's dumb. That's okay. Uh, it was. So was mine. No, yours is good. Given that we're talking about death and destruction, but yours has yours has um, meaning attached to you it. Just gotta sell it. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Picture oh, yeah. me. Morning shock jock. Rooting through my mini discs. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Y'all remember mini discs? No. You don't remember that? No. It was a format in between. Um, it was like around the same time as DVDs, but it was like after CDs and before basically just digital files. Yes. Is it was, like the beta tape of It's the CDs? beta tape of, yeah, of like, of just like recording digitally straight to a file to like disposable media or transferable media, like an SD card or something. It's like a little, it, it is a disc inside of a cartridge that would then keep it, it would, I don't know, I guess keep it clean or something. Keep it but, safe. But you could um, record super easily onto a, a disc, which okay. was just like, it was like, you. it was kind of mind-blowing in a way. Because it's almost like post-Napster, pre-iPod. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, I have all these songs, but I don't want to burn them to CDs. Yeah. something smaller. Oh, so it's like... It's like <laughs> I a- want a CD player with a record button on it, and that's yeah. what this was, essentially. Okay, got it. So you're going through your... How do you go through those now? Well, I have my. Uh, I, I brought my old mini disc player, and it still worked. So I um, just like was listening to some stuff, and I found old because I would just record stuff with friends, and so I found like me, sixteen year old me, with fifteen year old Roger Bainbridge, like doing sketches. Love it. And uh, it was like, it was very, um, it was very heartwarming to hear myself be like an interesting. A uh, young person, <laughs> because it was like I had the the sketches were like f- dumb or whatever, but like we're gonna release them. No, <laughs> uh, next week on the H word, it's just sketches. Teenage and, uh, Dan Fern and Roger Bainbridge. But it was also they were also mixtapes. Like I would record the radio. It was like you would do, but it was in like perfect quality because it wasn't like a actual tape mixtape. It was like still like you know a raw feed from a radio or whatever. Um, so I had, it was like the, it was like seeing inside my brain. There was like whole stretches of like movies, audio from movies just recorded. Just Led, uh, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. And like, but like, um, like meticulously titled, like, cause oh, you wow. would have to use this, like there was like a scroll wheel and you have to scroll through every letter and then say, yes, this letter. And then this, this letter. And I would write like, like, this is eight minutes of permanent midnight, you know, like the movie, the movie, the movie per- about the elf guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller plays the heroin addicted writer from Alf. That's right. He plays Jerry Stahl. Jerry Stahl. Yeah. I've seen that. And uh, there would it's just be pretty- large audio segments of it. And it was just like, uh, th- so it was um, kind of baffling, but also kind of like um, made it, uh, it, I don't know. I felt, I felt <laughs> we often discuss what the, what the word hope means. And it made me feel something that was, uh, I think, in the umbrella definition of hope. How come? Like, in what way? Just remembering who you are? Um, it made me feel... Uh, it made me... Um, like... Feel more, I guess, empathy for young people. Hmm. Mm. Um, the sort of, like, fuller... The fuller psychological life of, like... You know, it happens. It happens so young. Um, yeah. Your your psyche kind of like blossoms in 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 all sorts of directions, and maybe you don't have an understanding of it, but uh, there's a lot happening. I want to hear these tapes. 
I'm not allowed to. Uh, well, the, they're far better in the mystery of yeah. not hearing them. Well, my you old mini disc player too. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my old company partner luck. destroyed everything that we ever did. Destroyed it. Yeah, threw it into the River me. Sen. Don't know what he did with it. He moved to Los Angeles and got rid of everything because he, I think, if I were to guess, fears the past. Hmm. Oh. The fa- the past can haunt you with how shitty you are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I and I think Just that's ask Henry Ford. <laughs> 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 we weren't making anti-Semitic comedy. Actually, maybe we were. It was Who knows? A, it was a different time and ironic racism. Yeah. He's German. I think we did have a joke about that. Yeah. Anyway, mm. right? Yeah, and and I and I think that is also at play. Um, in my experience of those tapes, is that the past is not great, but it's also not not nothing. Yeah, I almost feel like it's. <clears throat> It's it's impossible to take it out of the cultural context in which it was created. So if you, as long as you are a good, and you know this can be interpreted any number of ways, but like if you're a good person generally, and you know through time, I feel like you'll generally be okay. But if what am I trying to say? It's like because I've definitely looked in my comedy catalog as well, or just remembering things that I've done on stage, and I just be like, oh my god, I can't believe that I did did that. But gen. There's still a there's still a line or there, that you don't cross as just a genuinely decent human being, even if culturally that might have been more okay in those days than it was today. Do you know, yeah. what, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, I think like sometimes it's hard to explain to younger comedians who would just call out the stuff if they had seen the stuff that we were doing, they would have called it out to be like, yeah, but our 100%. hearts our hearts were in the right place. Exactly. And and how can you tell? Because we've made adjustments when we learned new things. And then mm. her eyes opened up, a but bit. there is a line because like, and and it's it's and who I it's tough to pin down exactly where it is. I just feel like at least for myself, I always and who knows this is obviously from my own perspective. So maybe I offended people and and weren't aware. I'm not aware of that, but I still feel like as long as you are generally okay and there's you toe that invisible line or you don't cross that invisible line into like you're an absolute monster, then a certain amount and again i don't know if this is the right way a certain amount is forgivable just based on the fact that culturally that's where we were at that specific time yeah and we were trying things we're trying to use these things as tools for good maybe and you even said it earlier it's like well you know everyone was racist in those days everyone's always racist everyone's still racist exactly (laughs) and if we think we're not we're in trouble And it's important to, to acknowledge where or to know where we are being racist and try to work to be better but and, I also and to understand every day that we're doing things wrong that we can't know about. Yep. And be open to that. Yep. Did you bring a thing that made you hopeful this week? Um, I gave two things that were kind of sent us down this like spiral of negativity. Oh, yeah. But I do, um, I have been obsessed with, uh, so I don't know if this made, made me hopeful, but for the last five days, I've been obsessed with researching uh, how to make my own ele- electric bike. Okay, this is great. I'm very. Wow. I'm also very excited for yeah. you when the shit goes down because you're gonna have insulin and an electric <laughs> yes. bike. Yeah, all this. That's, that is definitely a part of the fun uh, as hell. The impetus there. Okay. So I like. I was on New Year's. I was in Vancouver and I was at a friend's place. I hadn't seen in a while. It was pretty low key New Year's. And at like one in the morning, we've been singing karaoke for like a good chunk of the night. And he's like, hey, you want to go back and check out my bike? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Bit of a mood change, yeah. but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so he takes me back there and he's got the, and he's like not, I wouldn't call him like an avid outdoorsy like cyclist dude, more just like a guy who like isn't like gadgets or something like that. Like he, at one point he had like a couple of different 
electric crockpot systems. <laughs> huh. two, two deep freezes. <laughs> two deep freeze freezers. Okay, also, you're, you have the best apocalypse team. Yeah, no, well, he's out in Vancouver, so I mean, yeah, we he, need to find a way well, to get Well, that's why you got to build this bike. <laughs> <laughs> bike so out he, over the Rockies. So he takes me out back and he's got this um, e-bike and he's like, hey man, I t- uh, talked to the guy who sold it to me. He said he could take the governor off it. So now it goes like nice. 50, 60K. You, you could try? get out there. 100%. So we got on this thing and I was like, I'd never ridden one before. I didn't even really realize they were a thing. Like my impression of e-bikes prior to this was like, oh, this is just like old alcoholic guys that have like have a That's D-bike. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like skirting the law on these... Um, on these tiny uh, e-bikes but this was like more like a bicycle that just helped you pedal and it went super fast and i loved it and i went home and i started researching it and i told my wife i'm like we got to buy shares in these companies <laughs> right like these things are going to be huge next couple of years and they're relatively simple to install so if you've like like without getting into the, like the electronics of it like if you've built a bicycle before which is i'd say relatively realizable for most people um you could probably make this with a pre-existing like e-bike kit which essentially is just a, a new bottom bracket that connects to your your chain ring huh. so i've been learning how to do this yeah i'm gonna mod out my bike yeah and then uh, I, I might and open up the shop open up a shop that's yeah. right oh wow phase four of your career arc that's right so we started with Got transportation <laughs> what was your career arc comedy media no corporate te- a- application technology then media yeah sure Corporate, then, then corporate bikesmen. And then like, well, I, 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 who knows? Who knows what will happen over the next couple of years? But I do like the idea of being uh, future focused. So like picking something that is, um, you know, not, not future proofed, but I think is like aimed at uh, helping people as we go into this kind of, what am I trying to say? As your, you it's, mean it's, as your next career shift? No, it's less about the career shift. I think it's just more just what what you the kind of projects that I want to be involved in. You know, like I, I know that over you know as I grow up and based on the work that I've done in the past, it's like I like to make things, and it's usually like cultural or like fun related. And I think this something to do with e bikes is kind of a nice extension to that, and it also has enough flavor of the future that I think it's bringing that part of it into it as well. Are e bikes off the grid? They can be. That's absolutely part of my plan. I want, this thing's going to yeah. be totally off the grid, connected solar to power? solar. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, who knows? Like, every, at all, like, my view of what the future looks like, one view of what the future looks like is almost like, I think of it as like post-war, or sorry, like post-fall of the Berlin Wall, kind of Eastern Bloc, food lines, mm. and, you know, governments just trying to keep the lights on, and hey, there's brownouts so you have to deal with, and... Mm. You know, like and hey, blue food. jeans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And whoa, yeah. DVD, not DVD. It was like VHS tapes of Rambo. Yeah, that we're all sharing. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's there's got to be. I, I, I. Who knows? I just think with uh, the more people we have, if we really want to be sustainable, people have to get by living with less. Yeah. So you combine that right. attitude with shit's going to start to fall apart, which is going to put even more pressure on the systems that are already in place. So our food system is going to be hit harder. So then what? We probably don't have like mangoes and avocados and bananas and all of these. Yeah, bananas are going to be gone in a year. Yeah, it's like, well, you get rice and you get like beans and shit that's like resilient to like weather that's going to disrupt all of this, you know, agricultural system. So you have that combined with live more, live with less. And then I think you have this like, you know, food lines kind of thing. And I could see a future where it's like, yeah, come by, I'll fix your e-bike. 
I'll yeah. trade you for, yeah, you know, some grog or whatever, you know, well, bottle this, of vodka. So or this whatever, is a, you know? this is a hopeful thing in looking towards the future, and I think pessimism is helping with the hope. Is that, you know, we're probably going to encounter bad enemy people. But we'll probably make new friends because we'll have to talk to our neighbors more and we'll have to work with people more, right? I like that. Yeah, na- the, the, the sense of community and neighborhoods, I, I, I hope so. I hope it doesn't devolve into tribalism because you can see signals of that as well. Oh, it's yes. like nationalism kind of cropping up and anti-immigrant kind of sentiment throughout the world, which is shitty. Fear of the other. Yeah. But who knows? I, I, I hope that we can overcome that. I think Canada is a pretty good example of where... I've also been we're to places to that were like war zones and on the ground people aren't just stabbing each other constantly. Yeah. On the ground people for the most part make it work. You've been to war zones? I've been to Israel. Wow. So, yes. Wow. Um and yeah, but that was the thing is like the reality on the ground was very different. People are still neighbors. There's a lot of unknowns that are politically created, but People just want to live their lives and keep their families safe. And if the people around them make them feel like they're not going to attack them, for the most part, people just get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about them in the news. We're not saying, oh, this guy woke up and took his kids to school and so did this guy and, uh, and they had nice dinners in their homes and went to bed. Mm-hmm. Most people do. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a nice description yeah. of life. There. And what for dinner, though? Um. Ooh. A uh, nice tabbouleh salad, mm. maybe. No, not with these weather systems. Well, in the Middle East. <laughs> okay. You don't think we can have couscous? I don't know. Who knows? I think we'll be okay with it, though, because we all we survive. Yeah, we're know? all going to become macrobiotic, and the paleos can go fuck themselves, because that's <laughs> insane. You can't eat like that. What's paleo? Oh, it's just a bunch of meat and shit. It's oh, impossible. No. It's yeah. uh, very terrible. You got to, guys, there's one thing I leave you with this week. It's like, you got to become vegetarians. <laughs> Or just cut down your meat consumption. I agree with that. H-word yeah. fans. Yeah. That'll be huge. Cut it down yeah. just a little bit. That's it. No, no, I'm with you. I think, well, I mean, I've read all that. Well, you know, again, I don't know this details, but like the impact that meat in particular has on um, climate change and, you know, emissions is humongous. It's like 20, got to be 20, 30% of emissions. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Clothing and food. Yeah. So take off your clothes and eat. That sounds like a pretty sweet future. That's a great ending. Nude meat. (laughs) Let me walk back from that one. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. And nude meat. Bye. The H Word Podcast is produced by Stacy McGonigal for The Shop. Follow The Shop on Instagram at the underscore shop T-O. This week's online art provided by Ian Phillips and theme song, as always, by Laura Barrett. For information on all of our guests and artists, please follow us everywhere at The H Word Pod. <laughs> <laughs>